everyone. Welcome again to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location in Belmont, Massachusetts. If we don't know each other, my name is Brian. I pastor the church in Belmont, and it's good to talk to you today. Today we talk about a subject that's important, but sometimes people aren't too excited to talk about it, and that is the subject of money. Jesus has something very important to say to us in how we look at and deal with money. And you know, there's a direct link between the health and well-being of our hearts, minds, and souls, and our ability to handle money well. We talk about all of this today, so I hope you enjoy this, and I hope you listen closely, because I believe God has something to say to you. If you have a Bible with you, I'm going to encourage you to open it up and turn to Luke chapter 12, so some of you may have one of those vintage paper copies that you can open up this morning. There's also uh, Bibles on some of the chairs in front of you that you could look at. The verses will be on the screen, but if you want to use your phone or tablet or something like that to look up these verses, you're more than welcome to do that too. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 12 in just a moment. Now, if you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, let me remind you where we've been. And if you're visiting with us this morning, we're certainly glad that you're here. Let me tell you where we've been and where we're headed this morning. Each January at Mount Hope, we take a step back and we go back to the fundamentals of what it looks like for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ to do the basic thing that that God asks us to do. And the way we're framing it this year is we're calling this series Fully Equipped, All You Need to Do Your Best Work This Year. And as people who follow Jesus, we believe that your best work is going to be around pursuing God and doing the things that he would ask you to do. And so the first week we talked about the Bible, as we often do on the first Sunday of a new year. And we said that many of us uh, have strong opinions about the Bible. Some of us, and including people in this room, have a real positive view of the Bible. Some of us, and some of you are in this room, have a real negative view of the Bible. We think it's old and outdated. But many of us, whether our view is positive or negative, have shaped that view based on listening to other people tell us what we should think about the Bible rather than reading it and studying it for ourselves. And so we said on that first week, let's this be a year where at least we form our opinion by opening it up and studying and reading the Bible for ourselves. And last week, Justin did a great job talking about prayer and why prayer is important and why it should be a fundamental part of of following Jesus and doing what God wants us to do. And I would encourage you to attend Denise's class on Wednesday nights over the next few weeks to learn more about prayer and what it could look like in your life. Now this week, we get to the topic that we cover every, every January And I know, based on your feedback and the look I see in your eye when I bring up the topic, that this is your favorite one. Uh, This is the one that you look forward to. Uh, And and I can tell already uh, in your eyes, those of you who know we're talking about it this morning, that you're excited, you're glad you came this Sunday, because this is the Sunday uh, that you look forward to every year. And this is the Sunday where we get a chance to talk about the thing that you would love to come in and talk about this morning, and that is this right here. And I know even as I bring this out, you're super excited that this is the topic because this is going to be helpful to you and you're excited that this is the topic this morning. Some of you are looking at this and and rolling your eyes and saying, oh, you got to be kidding me. Clearly there's some sort of new campaign going on. The church needs to pay for something. That's not true. There's no pledge cards today. We're not asking for any special offering. So why then do we make this habit of talking about money 
every January. I'll tell you why. Because the way we handle money is super important to God. And so it ought to be super important to us. In fact, you could make the argument, as some scholars have, that in Jesus' teaching, he talked more about how to handle material resources and money than anything else. And if you look throughout the entirety of the Bible, how to handle money and how to deal with material resources is a big topic of discussion. And one thing that's clear, whether you start early on in the Old Testament or you go all the way to the New Testament, is that there is a direct link between the healthiness of our hearts and our spiritual well-being and how we handle our resources and money. That we can't get away from. There is a direct link between the well-being of our hearts and our, our spiritual walk. A direct link between that health and the way we view and deal with money. And the reason we talk about money each year is not because we're trying to make a budget, but because we care about your heart and your well-being and your walk with the Lord. And if we're going to do that well, then we need to bring up this topic. We as the leaders in your church need to bring up this topic once a year to make sure we're thinking about this well. I think one of the reasons that we cringe at this topic a little bit is because a lot of leaders in the church world, and especially very publicly, have done very poorly in dealing with the topic of money. It's a topic that's been mistreated and abused, but that should not cause us to shy away and ask the question, what does God say to us about how we should handle our resources, and what does it look like to do that in a healthy way? So this morning, I have a question for you, and here's the question. All of us have resources in the room. Some have more than others. The question is not about how much do we have or how little we have. The question is about our own individual lives using what it is we've been given. And here's my question for you this morning that we're going to think about for the next few moments. At the end of your life, what story do you want your money to tell? All of us are writing a story with the way that we handle our resources and our money. Whether we feel like we have a lot or whether we feel like we have a little, we're all writing a story in the way that we handle it. At the end of your life, when it's all said and done, what story do you want your money to tell? Think about that with me for a moment. Think about the friends and the family members that you know that have lived in this life and, and have gone on before us. One of the things that we often think about when we think about those people and when we talk about who they were and what they liked to do was how they handled money. He loved to golf. She loved to shop. He was kind of tight on what he wanted to spend. He was kind of greedy in what he went after. It's something that comes up when we talk about people's stories and who they were. How we handle money impacts that. And we think on a larger scale when we think about the stories of other people. So take someone like a Bernie Madoff who deceives people to get money. Or uh, the CEOs that get uh, drugged through the mud in our, in our media today. And we look and we say, look at what they're doing and how greedy they are and how they're handling money. A story is being written there, isn't it? They're writing their story and how they're going to be viewed. But the opposite can happen as well. A couple years ago, I heard the story of Ronald Reed. And maybe you heard his story as well. Ronald Reed passed away in 2016. He was a World War II vet, 
And he spent most of his working life working as a janitor for J.C. Penney. When he died, he left just over $6 million to a local hospital and a library in his hometown of, in Vermont. And the question came out, how did a man who was a, was a World War II veteran that just spent his life as a janitor come to have the ability to leave over $6 million? In fact, his entire fortune was over $8 million, but he left $6 million of it to this local library and hospital in Vermont. How was he able to do that? And so people started to look at his life. And if you Google his name, there are plenty of articles uh, in Forbes and Money on how the janitor was able to amass $8 million. And he lived frugally and he invested wisely. And that's his story. We love that story, don't we? I heard another story just a couple of months ago about the actor George Clooney. Uh, This happened in 2013, but it just became public at the end of last year. Apparently in 2013, George Clooney got 14 of his closest friends together. They called themselves the boys, and I guess they had known each other for a long time. So George Clooney sent out a note to his 14 closest friends, and he said to them, save the date, September 27th, 2013, you're going to want to be there. And so these 14 guys came from around the country, and they all gathered around a table, and they walked into a room, and there were 14 chairs at the table. Each chair had a briefcase sitting on the table in front of it. And they all sat down and they all took their places. They had a briefcase, a little name card on the, on the table. And George Clooney said to his closest friends, he said, listen, you let me sleep on your couch. You let me borrow your car. I would not be where I was, I am today, if it wasn't for you in my life. And each man opened up their briefcase and there in $20 bills in the briefcase was $1 million. And he said to them, I've also paid your taxes on this money. So that million dollars is yours to keep. One of the men uh, had just taken a second job at an airport bartending near his house because he was struggling to make ends meet for his wife and two kids. And so here his very wealthy friend is giving him this gift. The way we handle money writes a story. And it doesn't have to, it doesn't depend on how much we have or how little we have. Like you, I've met people who have little but are still very protective of what they have. I've also met people who have little who are extremely generous. I've met people who have a lot that don't want anyone else to touch it. And I've met people who have a lot who are extremely generous with what they have. It's not about amount of resources. No matter how much we have or how much we feel like we don't have, the way we handle our money is writing a story. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus talks to his followers about the story that those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, those of us who are Christians, the story our life should be writing when we handle money and resources. In fact, he gives three examples of stories our life could write. Two of them are stories we would not want to write, Jesus would tell us. And one of them is a story that our lives should be writing as we think about money and resources. And so we're going to take a look at these three stories this morning. The two that we should stay away from and the one that we should embrace. The first story Jesus tells is in Luke chapter 12, verse 13 through 21. 
Jesus is speaking to a large group of people. There's a crowd there. And it says here in verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Uh, Now, back in Jesus' day, the standard practice in the Jewish culture would be that the oldest son would get a double portion of the inheritance that was given. And then the rest of the sons would also receive uh, some of the inheritance. And so I don't know what's going on in this in this man's life. I don't know why he's upset with how the inheritance was given out in his family. It happened that a long time ago, inheritances used to cause conflict in families. I know that doesn't happen today, but back in Jesus's day, this sort of thing took place. And so this man says, Jesus, tell my brother, that greedy guy, to split the inheritance with me. Something's wrong here. Now, Jesus doesn't get into the details of this family. Rather, he sees something in the heart of the man giving this request. And Jesus said to him, verse 14, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I will have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is, is, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So Jesus tells a story about this man who was very wealthy and had a great crop. And his barns were not big enough to hold the crop. And so what he did was with this excess of wealth was he tore down the barns he had, built bigger ones. And Jesus has a very specific word to describe the story of this man. And that word is fool. And it sounds like a harsh word, especially if you live in a culture where amassing wealth so that eventually you can eat, drink, and be merry is the standard everybody's called to, is the standard everybody strives for. I actually look at this parable and I say to myself, well, isn't that the right thing to do? Isn't the right thing to do to to invest and isn't the right thing to do to save and to, and to build wealth over time? Isn't that the right thing that this man is doing? But Jesus uses the very opposite word of that in calling this man a fool. And so then the question becomes, why is this man a fool? Now, I don't believe this man is a fool because he is gaining wealth necessarily. Because we could look at plenty of places in this book where God blesses people with wealth. We could look at places in this book where there is great advice on saving money and being wise and being a good steward. So it's not necessarily that he's planning and saving and investing. That's not why he's a fool. Rather, he is a fool because he has been given something in excess and assumes that it's all for himself. This man has has been blessed with resources, and his assumption is, all of this that I've been given is for me. 
And Jesus says, fool. Why would you assume that everything that you have is for you? And why would you only care about your life in this world? You can amass all that you want. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Jesus paints this man as a greedy man. Someone who would take in great wealth and rather than ask the question, okay, God, you've given me these resources, what would you like me to do, assumes that he's earned it for himself and gets to spend it the way he desires. I knew we were talking about this and we were thinking about it all week and I opened up the news app on my phone this morning and one of the first headlines that hit me was a headline about Nicolas Cage, the actor and how he wasted a $150 million fortune. Here's how he did it, in case uh, you ever want to do this in your life. He earned, was worth $150 million, and this is what he did. He owned 15 residences, $25 million mansion in California, a $15.7 million countryside estate in Newport, Rhode Island, an $8.5 million house in Las Vegas, and he also bought, just for good measure, a $3.4 million mansion in New Orleans. He owned two castles in Europe, one $10 million and one $2.3 million. That one was cheap. He got a $3 million island in the Bahamas. He bought a nine-foot-tall burial tomb. He spent $450,000 on the late Shah of Iran's Lamborghini, $150,000 on a pet octopus, $150,000 on the first-ever Superman comic. And my favorite one is he paid $276,000 for the skull of a Tyrannosaurus Rex, which later he had to return to the Mongolian government because it was stolen. <laughs> we look at that and we say, fool don't we? Fool. He has all these resources, and the assumption is these are my resources just to do with whatever I want. And we look at that and we say, fool. But I think we owe it to ourselves to ask the question, are there places in our lives where we fall prey to the exact same thing? For most of us, it's on a smaller scale. But I would suggest to you that in the United States of America, there are plenty of places where we assume that our resources that we have are ours for our own good pleasure. And rather than go to God and say, God, we have some extra here. What would you like us to do with it? We assume that it's ours for buying a better phone. Or we assume it's ours for paying for a gym membership we never use. Or we assume it's ours for upgrading our home or upgrading our car or buying more things that we don't need or going into more debt so that we can go to restaurants that impress our friends. We assume that all of this stuff is for us for our pleasure. And that's the reason the man is a fool. Not because he has the resources, but the assumption that he makes about them. And Jesus says to the people, don't let the way you handle money write your life as the story of a fool. But there's a second story that Jesus said could be written in your life. Some of you are sitting here this morning and you're saying, well, that's not me. I'm not greedy. I don't spend in excess. But you might be writing the other story that Jesus talks about. This is what he says in verse 22. And Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? 
And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. The story of the fool is one of greed. Assuming these resources are for him and using them all for his own benefit. But Jesus talks about another story that's being written in some of our lives. And that is the story of fear. You see, some of us don't fall into the foolish story. We don't spend in excess. We don't assume it's all for us. But some of us fall into the fear story, don't we? Thinking that what we have is ours and we better put it away and not touch it or let anybody else get to it or spend it because if we spend what we have, there'll never be more. If we give like God asks us to give, if we're generous like God asks us to be generous, then we're going to put ourselves in a bad situation because this is what we have. And if we give it away, if God asks us to give it away, then we won't have enough left for us. And by the way, you can be quite under-resourced and feel this way. You can be incredibly wealthy and feel this way. The idea of the fool is one of greed. The idea of the person who is fearful is one of scarcity. If I give it away, there won't be enough. If I share it with someone else, there won't be enough left for me. And Jesus says, listen, if you follow God, he owns it all. If he's asking you to do something, then he'll provide. If God calls you to something or asks you to do something, just like he takes care of the birds in the air and the flowers of the field, how much more will he take care of you? But if you're writing a story of fear and scarcity and you don't trust him enough to do what he's calling you to do or asking you to do, you may miss out on his provision. And many of us may not feel like we're writing the story of the fool, but we may be writing the story of fear in the way we deal with our money. And Jesus says both of those are contrary to what God would ask you to do. So then what is the alternative? Well, Jesus gives it to us in the last few verses here, starting in verse 31. Instead, instead of being foolish, instead of being fearful, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Listen to these next two words. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so you might have the question, well, how do I know if I'm being greedy? How do I know if I'm being foolish? How do I know if I'm being fearful? What it all comes down to is it is a matter of your heart. It's a matter of your heart. When you look at your resources, do you say to yourself, this is mine for me to decide what to do with? Or do you say to yourself, 
God has given me this. What does he want me to do with it? You see, the story of the fool and the story of the one who is fearful looks at resources as the things they have come upon and they have gotten for their own gain and their own benefit. The story of faith understands that God owns it all. God created it all. Somewhere along the line, some people decided to use green paper. Other people use blue paper and yellow paper. Some people use cryptocurrency, which I blows my mind. I don't really know. But God owns it all. God's the one that put it into place. He's the one in charge of it all. So when we receive the, the, the resources, whether it's green or yellow or blue or, or metal or paper or whether it's just on a computer, it's all God's that he's given to us. And so the story of faith says, God, you've given this to me. What do you want me to do with it? Jesus says it's a matter of our hearts. And where our heart is, there our treasure will be also. If we're foolish and fearful, our treasure is in this earth. Greed and scarcity. If we're faithful, our treasure is in heaven. So what is it then that God calls us to do? What is it that God asks us to do? Well, in the Bible, I think the standard is pretty clear. And this is how it works. It's tough to understand, so I'll go through it a few times. If you're not a math person, I understand that. I'm not a math person either. My wife is a CPA. She's a math person. I'm not. I'm a dreamer and thinker. And so uh, this is hard for me too, but I'm going to try to do this as, as best I can. Here's the biblical idea of how we should live with money and resources and how we should be generous. This is what God says. For every 10 of these that God gives us, for every 10 of these that God gives us, all right, God asks us just to take one, okay, you see? No, hang on, I'll do it again. I'll do it again. It's tough. It's tough. The, what the Bible suggests is that for every 10 of these that God gives us, that we would take one and we would invest it in the kingdom, in God's work. Now listen, don't try to get out of this by saying the pastor's just trying to raise money from Mount Hope. That's not what I'm doing here. In fact, if you tell me you're doing this and giving 10% and it's to different places in God's kingdom and it's supporting the work, that makes me happy. I hope Mount Hope's in the mix. But that makes me happy that you're obedient to God, that you're being obedient to God. That's what matters here. For every 10 of these, this is what God says, will you live a story of faithfulness and put one into the work of my kingdom? Now here, here's nine more that you can use for the needs of your life and for, and for pleasure. It's not a bad thing. But I'm asking you to take one and invest it in the kingdom and the work that I'm doing. And then what happens is we do this. And all of a sudden, we begin to see how God provides and how God blesses us. Sometimes it's through more resources. Sometimes it's in, in many different ways. But we begin to see that God is faithful and that he continues to provide, even though we want it for ourselves and, and we would love to spend it on something that we want, right? Because the iPhone 11 is going to come out at some point and we're going to have to get it. And so, but we give it to God and his work. And all of a sudden, we see that God still continues to provide and he's still faithful. And our faith grows. 
But if I hang out onto this for myself, I miss out on that. And if I have a fearful mentality and I just pack all this away, I also miss out on what it looks like for me to trust God, say, okay, God, I don't understand it. This seems extremely generous to me. And this is an extremely generous ask. Most people in our world give 50 bucks at the United Way thing once a year at our company, and we think we're changing the world. This is an extremely generous ask. And so we say, all right, God, it's scary to me, but I'm going to act out of faith. And then we see that God is faithful, and he provides, even though we weren't sure how it was going to happen. And here's the real scary thing is as we grow in faith, we start to say, God, I can't believe you let me keep nine of these. I'm going to invest one more. And that story of faith is written in our lives for the world to see, for our family to see, and it puts us in a much better place than the place of the fool or the fearful person. I don't have an agenda here other than I care about your heart and I care about your relationship with God. And if our relationship with God is going to be in the right place, we have to learn how to do this well. I'll tell you, Lori and I have done this for the entirety of our marriage. God has never failed us once. And I know he's not going to. And so what story is your money writing in your life? Is it one of foolishness? Is it one of fear or is it one of faith? I'm going to invite our worship team back and invite you just to bow your head and close your eyes for one moment. And just be honest with yourself. God might be speaking to you this morning. And he might be saying to you, listen, I've given you resources that you might use for my kingdom, that you might use to make my name great. And you might feel God calling you to do something this morning. It could be to help the neighbor down the street that you know is in need. It could be to to give to some cause that, that you feel like you need to give to. It could be to support a ministry somewhere that you feel is important. But God might be dealing with you this morning and saying, listen, you're hanging on to it all and you're doing it out of greed and you're doing it out of fear. But would you this morning recognize that I'm the one that gives it all? And would you trust me and have faith that I'll provide if you do what I'm calling you to do? Some of us this morning are sitting here saying, this is crazy. I have so much debt and so much need. There is no way I can live like this. I just want to remind you, whatever position you're in, God's bigger than that position. And if he's calling you to do something, he'll provide. God, help us to trust you the way you ask us to. Lord, thank you for the many ways that you bless us that go unnoticed. God, the reality is for those of us who live in this world, for those of us who live in this culture, when you compare us to the the other billions of people around the globe, we are extremely blessed with what we have. And so we thank you for it. Help us to use it wisely. And would we write a story in our life, not of foolishness or fear but of faith in Jesus' name.
Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E dot O-R-G, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at M-T Hope Belmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.